Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And you know, John, it was the damnedest thing. Our colleague, Mark Saxon, had a tweet on Monday in <laughs> which he wrote, quote, congrats to at Eric Raskin and all Phillies fans on your long overdue revenge for losing on a pure fluke to an inferior Cardinals team in the 2011 NLDS. This year's Phillies team is a juggernaut, currently 2-0 and in the playoffs, and it's hard to see how they don't finish 13-0, and end quote. Uh, a very curious thing to tweet, uh, especially when clearly 13-1 and is going to end up being the playoff <laughs> record, not 13-0. and um, Of course, our listeners know what was up. Mark lost the prop bet we made live on the podcast last week. So, John, assess my tweet. Uh, proper levels of embarrassment for Mark? Too humiliating? Not humiliating enough? What do you think? Uh, I think since since it's a Cardinals fan, uh, I'm going to go with not humiliating enough. Uh, Mm. They won the National League pennant in 2013, the World Series in 2011 and 2006, the pennant again in 2004, you know, among their long history of success. I mean, they haven't had a losing season since 2007. They haven't lost 90 games since 1990. They haven't lost 90 plus games in consecutive seasons in more than 100 years. So. To sum up, they don't know from suffering. That old, you know, best fans of baseball trademark, whatever. Um, I would mark that insufficient evidence because they've never suffered. But still, I consider the debt paid. Yeah, it's cer- it certainly paid. Mark was a good sport. But OK, so you're saying I should have leaned in more on him having to say something insulting about his own team rather than so praiseworthy of my team. Uh, no, I, I think he, he played it uh, smartly. Like I said, he uh, he, he fulfilled the. Uh, obligation to the debt and he didn't even have to go after his own team okay um and and i should give him credit by the way because uh he did predict that the phillies would beat the cardinals even if he was rooting for the opposite Mm. result so he gets some credit for being sharp at least i mean my goal with the tweet that i wrote for him was that it would be just overboard enough to tip people off and and hopefully (laughs) spare him some vitriol and and i think this did the trick yeah one of his followers uh, someone named steve pona even responded (laughs) immediately lost a bet eh, mark um and uh, and nobody really gave him a hard time other than one person tweeting boo which uh, i think Mm. was them booing the comment not some early (laughs) halloween enthusiasm Uh, (laughs) so uh, anyway thanks again to mark for playing along and uh, and john your phillies world series bet remains alive yeah, it's interesting now. It's getting uh, lower and lower, those numbers. And uh, uh, well, if the Padres beat the Dodgers, I'm really going to love it. Yep. All right. Well, we're we're aligned in all of our rooting interests, I guess, for the moment. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 213 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 212 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And for a bonus, feel free to write a tweet gushing over the Phillies. At least one out of two Gamble On hosts will appreciate the sentiment. And I guess the second Gamble On host uh, doesn't mind it so much right now. Yeah, not so much. They're playing the Braves. So, yeah, right. that works. Um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by a top 
Poker Tournament Director Matt Savage, the Executive Tour Director for the World Poker Tour, to give his take on the still-trending poker cheating allegations and the general prevalence of cheating in the game. But first, it's been a sort of a G2E level busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We have a rotation lately on the podcast where just about every week we're talking about legalization hopes or launch timing in either California, Ohio, Maryland, or Massachusetts. This week, it's Massachusetts making the most news. And that news isn't great if you live in Massachusetts and want to start betting on sports legally as soon as possible. Last Thursday, a lengthy Massachusetts Gaming Commission meeting featured little in the way of agreement and accomplishment and plenty of squabbling and ended with Chair Kathy Judd Stein saying, I am very concerned about our decision making and our inability to move forward. Everything got pushed off to the next day, but when they gathered again on Friday, votes were actually held and tasks got accomplished though the timeline they decided upon isn't encouraging to impatient bettors. They voted to launch retail sports betting in late January and mobile in early March. Along the way, various commissioners showed a lack of understanding about how sports betting works, with one thinking Thursday or Friday are busier betting days than Sunday, and another fearing it would be unsafe for the public to launch retail sports betting on an NFL playoff Sunday. Yeah, the last thing the sports books want is lots of customers showing up. Uh, John, what do you think of this timeline in Massachusetts and the way things have been going there since they legalized over the summer? Yeah, I love the fear of overcrowding at the casino combo, I must say. Uh, now, maybe if the Patriots are still the Patriots, it's okay to ask the question maybe and then find out, yeah, we're not worried about that. But uh, in this case, uh, yeah, Patriots will be long, long, long gone. Um, now, when I wrote about a recent podcast interview with ex-Gambalon guest Brienne Dura-Schwal chatting uh, with ex-Gambalon guest David Rebuck, who is the chief gambling regulator in New Jersey, he pointed out that even as a pioneer in sports betting, he and his staff are still open to learning from what smart regulators in other locales do. And his two specific shout outs were the province of Ontario and Massachusetts. Hmm. So this was long and slow and cumbersome and still is, but Massachusetts or Massachusetts or whatever they call themselves, <laughs> I don't know, uh, will have a good product available before the Red Sox regular season and the Celtics postseason start. Uh, in the meantime, they some of them can go to New Hampshire or Connecticut and place a few bets. So, and the, you know, ten years from now, we'll all forget uh, this nonsense. I suppose that's true. That in the grand scheme of things, uh, this little bit of a mess right here will be forgotten. But you know, the Massachusetts legislative process was a mess for four years, uh, yeah. and then it came together, and and they passed a reasonable bill in short order. And I think a lot of us got tricked into thinking that, OK, they have their act together. They have some gambling infrastructure in place in the state already. This is going to be quick and easy now. And uh, I guess we should have believed the evidence of four messy years rather than of one good week. Um, there are clearly a lot of people involved here who don't know what they're doing and don't get how sports betting works. Um, the one thing that you don't want to do is launch mobile right on a huge betting day and risk crashing the servers before they have a chance to work out the kinks. Mm. But I guess that's not likely to be an issue if mobile won't be ready until March. Uh, I guess it becomes important not to launch like on day one of March Madness. You know, they, they want to get up and running a week or so before the tournament if possible. But 
retail sports books, they can certainly open on a Sunday. I, I don't see what the downside is there. I guess the lines might be a little long to get your bets in. Uh, I would imagine the casinos will be okay with that if, if that's the case. Um, but uh, a, a last note, um, based on the way things have gone so far these last couple of months, nobody should assume that sports betting will launch in the timeframes they're talking about. There are still plenty of ways for things to get slowed down. The commissioner has even said before voting on these planned dates that those dates would be subject to change based on public comment or staff recommendations. So these timeframes are definitely not locked in just yet. Well, and keep in mind, I just happen to sort of know that there are a lot of uh, Boston corner bars that uh, have a guy in the corner who, <laughs> you know, will take a, a wager here and there and they're not going anywhere. I mean, again, they they take uh, bets on credit. And if you score the 16 parlay and you make five grand, um, they may forget to slip you an IRS form. And uh, so so those guys aren't going away anyway. So, um, you know, you've got for people who can't get to Connecticut or New Hampshire easily, um, then there are those who can walk around the corner. And so there's not a huge number of people who are really dying to place a big bet in Massachusetts. And they think, geez, I have no opportunity whatsoever. (laughs) Right. There, there are certainly other options, just a matter of whether they're legal and regulated, but, uh, but uh, good for you, by the way, for uh, going with, you know, Massachusetts or or whatever, rather than (laughs) you could have gone the route that uh, that starts starts with a mass and doesn't involve Massachusetts at all. There is a shorter. uh, (laughs) Yeah. That's one. I, 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 I did not quite go that way, but I I thought of it. Okay. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Uh, We've been talking for a few years now about the possibility of ESPN not just getting into sports betting in terms of covering it as a media entity, but getting into sports betting by becoming an operator. Last Thursday, Bloomberg reported that the Disney-owned company was close to announcing a massive deal with DraftKings. Although what that means exactly is anyone's guess. ESPN executives have said in the past that ESPN doesn't want its own branded sports book. So this would appear to align with that, but it's hard to know what this partnership would look like and details of the rumored deal are scarce. One thing we do know is that the news put some pep in DraftKings' stock step as shares went up 5.8% on the rumored news. As Matt Rybaltowski reported on Sports Handle, Industry analysts are saying the deal could be announced before the NBA season starts next week. John, any guesses what a DraftKings sportsbook in partnership with ESPN could look like? Will we actually see ESPN's name directly on a sports betting app? And are you surprised or unsurprised at this point that Disney would allow this much of a toe to be dipped into the dirty waters of sports gambling. Yeah, I mean, Disney had been very squeamish, but you know, the company had to have noticed that all of the apocalyptic uh, things that California residents are being told in a barrage of ads about what a disaster would happen from, oh my gosh, legalization of sports <laughs> betting. Uh, yeah, there's more than 25 states that so far seem to be proving otherwise. So I don't think it hurt them to be cautious necessarily. And now they go full speed ahead. I think this is as simple as having ESPN viewers or occasional bettors or maybe thinking about it, get used to the idea that the DraftKings brand is all they need to know. I think that's a big 
big group. I don't think ESPN has to push its own name on the DK brand necessarily. I mean, given Disney's track record, I expect the tie-ins to be incremental with an eye on whether Disneyaholics ever reach a point of discontent. Um, I actually have a close family member who is both that sort of a holic and very opposed to gambling. And that's the diehard they really don't want to lose. Um, now, SeekingAlpha.com, the financial news site, they suggest a remodeling of a current secondary channel by branding it as ESPNU-Bet, powered by DraftKings. Now, of course, tons of alumni watch that college sports-oriented channel, but a big portion of college students haven't reached the legal age of 21. So that doesn't strike me as a sort of move that gunshy Disney's eager to make. So I wouldn't go that far, but uh, I think it makes sense, but I don't think it's going to be as exciting as maybe some people think it's going to be. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't uh, seen that about the ESPNU angle. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different directions they can go for it, for how they're going to handle this. Um, you know, Disney, like the NFL, the NBA, MLB, etc., is a for-profit business. Uh, they do have a brand to protect, but in the end, they'll do what raises their bottom line. So just like all of those leagues I just mentioned, they will oppose sports betting or, or show hesitance to get involved in it until it's obvious there's money to be made. And then they do a 180. So I'm unsurprised that Disney would okay ESPN involvement in a sports book. And I won't even be totally shocked if the ESPN brand ends up in the name. Mm. Um, although, as you say, that Disney is trying to thread that needle, I guess, of not pissing off the Disney holics who are anti-gambling. Um, I mean, I, I really have no clue what this joint venture with DraftKings would look like, you know, is it just DraftKings running the sports betting operation and ESPN promoting it and, and getting its brand into the existing DraftKings app on some small level, or is it a whole new ESPN sports book powered by DraftKings for people to download? Probably the latter is less likely, but I, I wouldn't totally rule it out. I, I don't know, but I mean, Certainly, Jason Robbins and company must be psyched. You know, they, they haven't even announced a deal of any kind yet. It's just a rumor. And the stock is up. It's been a long time since that stock went up. Uh, that, that tells you this is definitely a major story to keep an eye on. And if indeed it's announced before NBA tip off, this might just be the lead story in our news segment again next week. Yeah, well, also, I think that Disney's reluctance to get involved actually is to the benefit of uh, of DraftKings in the sense that um, they're not that obsessed with this uh, sector and they've been hesitant. And now they're saying, OK, we think it's safe and it's good. And we pick this brand out of all others. You know, this is the one we want. And so I think that actually helps DraftKings a lot because uh, they have a conservative uh uh, in terms of sports betting legalization and, and optimism uh, partner. And they're saying, yeah, even we think this is legit and it's safe. And as I said, uh, the, the ESPN, is, they don't have what they had 10 years ago in terms of subscribers, but they have, you know, 85, 90% of what they had. <laughs> yeah. And that's a huge number. And again, the, the casual gambler is going to say, Hey, you know, I don't know. I'm, thinking about it. And all I ever see on ESPN, which I watch all the time is DraftKings. So that's the one I got to go to. They're not going to go to the other brands necessarily because they think, you know, I trust Disney. I like Disney or I trust ESPN. I like ESPN or both. And so therefore I'm going with DraftKings. So I think it makes sense for both sides. And I think it's going to work out just fine. All right. Good analysis. So ESPN is one mainstream brand that has the attention of the sports betting industry. 
For our final story this week, we will talk about another one, Fanatics. The company is best known for selling sports apparel, and its founder and CEO, Michael Rubin, who incidentally went to my wife's high school, uh, announced on Tuesday while speaking at the CAA World Congress of Sports in New York that Fanatics will launch its sports betting division in January 2023. He said Fanatics plans to have a sports book in 15 to 20 states by the time the 2023 football season starts, including every major sports betting state except New York, where Fanatics tried to get a license but wasn't granted one. So this is the most detail we've heard yet on plans for a Fanatics sports book. Some in the industry think their ability to cross-market sports betting and their other verticals can make them a major player in the gambling business. Others are skeptical based on so many other sports books having a four-year-plus head start. John, where do you fall on that line? And how do you feel about Ruben's revisionist history acting like they never wanted to be in New York because you can't make money taking bets there? Yeah, I like uh, Ruben's chutzpah there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We knew we knew we'd lost we'd lose money, but we wanted to be there anyway. And now that there's no way in, uh, we don't want to be in sort of a wait. You can't fire me. I just quit. So (laughs) I do like that. Um, Now, Fanatics has customers who are obsessed with buying merchandise of their favorite teams, some of whom likely are spending the bulk of their discretionary cash on such junk. I mean, stuff. Uh, Now, if that customer starts dabbling in sports betting, loses money, does that mean, you know, how does that come out of how much they'll spend on fanatics? So mm. how does fanatics make money overall? Now they're not going to go into debt to keep spending on both platforms, right? Wait, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. That's uh, you, you think outside the box sometimes relative to me. And I, and I hadn't even thought about that, you know, people putting money into sports betting means less money they have available to spend on fanatics, other products. That's uh, yeah. an interesting note there. Um, I love this note in Matt's story on Sports Handle. Actually, uh, he took this from an earlier story that he wrote about Fanatics and, and repeated it. He noted that one Wall Street analyst said it's hard to envision Fanatics acquiring thousands of customers simply by, quote, offering them a free hat. Uh, I guess that <laughs> minimizes uh, their power, but uh, yeah, I like that. I will say it's less the cross-promotion of products and more just their reach, their customer lists, their email lists, et cetera. They can reach a lot of people, some of whom are into these sports and memorabilia and jerseys and all that and haven't made the leap to betting on sports yet. So they do have the potential to be a major player in this industry, but what I wouldn't expect is for it to happen quickly. They, they have to be willing to play the long game because you're not just going to show up and bump FanDuel and DraftKings out of the top spots the expectations should probably be more along the lines of a bar stool. You know, we want to be just like a top five or so sports book, build a reputation, build a customer base and be ready as the industry evolves and these other books consolidate or drop out, you know, can fanatics be a top two or three sports book by 2025? I don't think so. By 2030. Sure. That that's possible. The industry figures to look very different by the end of the decade compared to how it looks now. I could see fanatics being one of the top books by that time period. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely uh, a really well-run company, but this reminds me so much of all the arena and stadium building, uh, exercise I went through a decade ago in the New York, New Jersey area where, you know, this is going to create X number of jobs. Like if everybody, you know, starts going to devil's hockey games or whatever, then they're not going to the local movie theater anymore. Cause again, there's only so much discretionary income. So, you know, you gain jobs on one side, you lose it on the other. There's, there's not an unlimited amount of, uh, you know, 
people of the middle class who have a little bit of discretionary income, which a lot of people don't have at all, uh, but they don't have a ton of it. And so, you know, there's only so much they can do. And I just think, you know, fanatics, fanatics are (laughs) people who have just the right amount. And they're like, I'm going to buy, you know, another jersey of, you know, my favorite Giants player because it's doing great this year. And that's fine. But then and now I'm going to bet 100 bucks on the Giants on Sunday. You know, I don't I don't get it. So I agree with you that if they're smart and I think they are smart, um, they'll go for right. Not the top two or three. That's never going to happen. But, you know, the thinking is like a a eight to 10 to 12 percent share of the market would be not only uh, profitable, but also realistic and, uh, you know, where you want to be. You don't have to spend a fortune to get there, whereas you would have to spend 10 times as much to get twice as much revenue, you know, to be in the top two or three. So I, I think they'll be smart about this, but I don't think they're going to revolutionize anything. Yeah. And, and they obviously have their eye on California, as everyone yeah. does. Um, yeah. Look, we all expect Proposition 27 to fail this year, mm-hmm. um, but one of its rules includes mobile sports books needing to be live in at least 10 other states to get licensed in California. And it's possible that rule could survive until sports betting comes up again in 2024. So, so clearly Ruben has that on his mind that fanatics wants to be in double digit states by the time California does pass something. And I guess if somehow Prop 27 passes this year, that'll be interesting to watch them go into serious rush mode in 2023 to get up and running in 10 or more states. I think it's uh, about 100 to one long shot at this point that that actually is going to to pass, um, but uh, that that would uh, force them to to hurry up and get operational so that they can get into California. Well, I remember in 2018, uh, about 11 months before the Supreme Court decision on legalizing sports betting outside of Nevada, um, everyone involved knew what was going on. So mm-hmm. like a Mammoth Park uh, horse track in New Jersey, they had built a sports book. Well, they built it years before, but they upgraded it in the year while they were waiting. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Obviously, a lot of companies such as like, I don't know, usbets.com <laughs> were basically formed, you know, knowing what was going to happen. And I think they also know California is going to fail. And so this this year, and I think they also kind of like a call in a poker game, I would say, where they learn what they screwed up this year, which is a lot. They underestimated tribes for one thing. Um, but now they know, okay, so this is what we're up against. And so I think there, this California is going to be really interesting in 2024 because I think that the the big books are going to know exactly what they need to do. I'm not sure they're going to win, but I think they got a, a real shot. Yeah, and masterful segue there, John, dropping a <laughs> poker mention in right before the interview segment. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Poker has crossed over into the mainstream again recently, powered by the cheating accusations that we and every other podcast on the planet discussed last week. Very few people are more knowledgeable about the rules of poker, the etiquette of poker, and what it takes to properly manage the game than renowned tournament director Matt Savage. Matt is the executive tour director for the World Poker Tour, and I feel comfortable declaring him a future Hall of Famer, and he joins us now. Matt, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks a lot, Eric. Appreciate it. Good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you too. Um, So 
I'll start with the obvious topic and the obvious question about that topic. Uh, the Garrett Edelstein, Robbie Jade, Lou Hand. Where do you fall on the spectrum between she cheated and she didn't cheat? And bigger picture between the Mike Postle scandal and this, are we in a dangerous place with live streaming poker? Well, first of all, I want you to get the movie rights to this thing because it's turned out to be one of the craziest stories ever for poker. Uh, I'm actually not sure if it's good or bad for poker, to be honest, because uh, this cast of characters, uh, I mean, really, it could make a, it could make a good Hollywood movie. Um, but, you know, I want to believe uh, that she made this great hero call. Um, but, you know, with everything coming out and all the stories and all of that, you know, it just, you know, I'm really right on the fence. I really have no idea which way this is going to turn out. Um, I think that uh, I'm, like I said, still holding out hope, but uh, a lot of coincidences in this thing. And, uh, you know, hearing her talk and hearing her talk every single day uh, <laughs> makes me wonder, you know, what would be her angle on doing that versus, you know, just laying low and kind of disappearing. She still wants to play poker. She still wants to be out there. She still says she's going to prove her innocence. She went in today and said she had a lie detector test. She also said she went to the Gardena police and turned over her phone uh, based on, you know, this other thing that happened. So, you know, I think she's trying to prove her innocence, but, you know, to be fair, uh, she, I think she's been proven guilty before, you know, even anything has come out. I don't know why they're, they're, you know, they're not really giving her a chance to prove her. She has to prove her innocence instead of, you know, having to not. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that it's come down this way. Um, I think that, you know, this type of investigation uh, has been made in the social media and the public uh, sphere. So, you know, whether that's good or bad, who knows? But I mean, I'm telling the story is not going away as fast as I thought it would. Yeah. And, and, and just as far as the, the live streaming element that it seems to open poker up to this potential for if somebody has access to those cards, uh, certainly we think that's what that we all think that's what was happening in the, in the Postle scandal, that somebody was seeing the cards and, and telling him what to do uh, here. It's suspected is the live streaming. Is there something, does something need to be done to, to button that up or they need to maybe stop with the live streaming of these cash games? Well, I'll tell you, I think that, uh, you know, we haven't been able to find out what's going on. They haven't released anything, but they're still running live streams on a day to day basis. So if they were doing that, I mean, it makes me feel like they haven't found anything yet. Of course, all of this uh, is opening up the topic of our live stream safe and what do we need to do to do that. So I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, as people that run these live streams, they need to be 100 percent vigilant at all times. And it the players need to know that there isn't a shred of doubt that, uh, you know, there's any kind of impropriety going on and, you know, every loophole needs to be closed. So I think this is opening a lot of eyes, but it's also making it so that, uh, you know, these live streams are more secure and the people can feel safe playing in them. So I, I hope that uh, this is a good thing, like I said, for, from the beginning, but, you know, I know there's a lot of live streams out there and a lot of people doing a lot of different things. So, you know, again, you know, as long as people, we know that the players and other people are watching these things and, you know, they become very popular. I think that uh, they will continue and I think they'll continue to be uh, very popular and, and, you know, just uh, be as safe as can be. And uh, like I said, if people are playing on them now, they must feel confident that uh, everything's been fixed. 
Yeah, you know, Matt, uh, I have written far more than anyone else over the years on the Phil Ivey Baccarat scandal, uh, edge sorting at Borgata and at Crockford's in London. And unfortunately, I do not have the movie rights because uh, the young actress Aquafina has them. And uh, I still feel like submitting a screenplay. I know exactly what the opening uh, scene needs to be. I know where it's going to go. I mean, it's fantastic. There's so many details in that case that uh, still blow my mind. The movie's going to be so good that people are going to say, imagine if this were true. They're not going to believe it could be true, but it is. But I want to ask you in general. I'm the classic, you know, guy who played poker in college, maybe with the family, you know, 20 years ago, Chris Moneymaker comes along. I'm watching his piano all the time. We're all reading Eric's book, The Moneymaker Effect, uh, still available on Amazon, I suspect. But um, and then not as much of late. And so really, you know, this case fascinated me because um, I didn't have a feel. I'm interested that you didn't you don't have a definite feel either, because I certainly didn't. And the comments seem to be 50 50, you know, as I'm reading them and I'm, I'm kind of stumped. So so in general, outside of this case, you know, it's interesting to me that poker is the bluff is the core of the game, really. So, you know, if somebody never played cards before, they'd say, well, that's not fair. You, you claimed to have a better hand. You didn't. Well, you don't understand poker. So move along. But uh, what what is over the line, though? I assume anything like electronic that you've got that's helping you it's got to be over the line i assume but what if you can actually get a peek you get a peek at the the cards of the guy next to you is there anything wrong with that playing that or does it depend on what level you're playing at no there's definitely something wrong with it but of course a lot of times it's the player the amateur player the recreational player that is showing their cards yeah. and i've seen this happen so many times over the years where a professional player or somebody that you know is playing next to the one of those people that are showing the cards for them to say hey look you know, I can see your cards. I want to warn you that uh, this should not happen. And to me, if you've seen somebody's cards and you're not actively looking at them, uh, you know, I want to make sure that that player is protected. I think you should say something in that case. And if you're doing something, you know, nefarious by peeking over more often after you see that they're looking at their cards the wrong way, then I do feel that it is cheating. So, uh, like I said, if, if you happen to catch a peek of somebody's cards one time, you know, you're playing the hand, you may want to say something to that player that you've seen them. But uh, in the end, it's the people that are consistently doing it and peeking and maybe will have sunglasses on to look at the other player's cards. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that I think are the cheating uh, people that are cheating in the game. Yeah, I'm sort of intrigued because I feel like in a way, if it was a two man game and this other guy's a chump, but I don't really feel sorry for him. Oh, you lost all your money. Guess what? You're a moron. Maybe you learn from this. But of course, there's other players involved. So it's not just you getting the edge. You're disadvantaging other people. And so, you know, that's what makes it more complicated. That's why I thought you might say that, yeah, this just don't do it, even though it could happen. Uh, but it, it is, I'm glad to hear it's kind of a, a little a bridge too far. Yeah, definitely seeing it once is one thing and then seeing it multiple times is another. I, do, I definitely think that there's uh, room for people to, to you know, try and correct somebody looking at their cards incorrectly. And uh, obviously you don't want to see anybody leaning over and looking at somebody's cards as well. All right. So let me ask you a couple of questions specific to the World Poker Tour. Um, first, how often over the years have you had to disqualify someone from a WPT tournament for cheating and, and what forms has that cheating taken? Well, uh, to be honest, I'm lucky. I maybe have uh, been been running good, uh, but I have never had to disqualify anybody from a WPT oh. tournament uh, over the years. And, you know, I think that it's something that, you know, you you work long enough in this industry, you have a level of respect with the players. Uh, they know they're not going to get away with things if you have good floor staff and you have good people working on the event. So luckily that hasn't happened to me. I know that there's been some things over the years that people have been disqualified for, like a player that uh, had somebody that was had the media actually standing behind and looking at somebody's cards and then 
signaling another player, but luckily that wasn't my event. Uh, so uh, as I said, I've never had to disqualify anybody, but you know, I know it's happened and uh, I feel like, you know, as a good tournament director, as a good Carter manager, you need to be vigilant about these things. And obviously if you see anything in this res uh, respect, I have no issue at all disqualifying somebody because I think it's something that, you know, all players need to feel safe and secure when they're playing your event. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to disqualify if I, if I ever found anybody that was doing these type of things. So it's more like somebody having to sit out around for breaking some rule is about the is about the hardest slap on the wrist you've ever had to, to give then? Definitely. At this point, yeah, that's it. So I'm, I'm lucky that uh, I've reached the stage of my career and not had to disqualify anybody for that. Gotcha. So moving away from the cheating talk for, for a moment, how's this season of the WPT going and, uh, and what notable events do you have coming up? It's our 20th season, so it's been very exciting. I've been there since season one, and I know that uh, you know all of these events coming out of the pandemic have just been crushing numbers, and uh, we're excited about what's coming up. Next week, we're back at the Bellagio for the Five Diamond, uh, which is now moved from December to October. Uh, it's a 10,000 event with uh, a lot of revise, so I expect that one to be big. And then we go back to Seminole Hard Rock in Florida, which is always a huge event, a $3,500, $2 million guarantee. And then the big one, the one we're really excited about is our World Championship at the win, where it's a $10,400 buy-in and a $15 million guarantee, which to date is the largest guaranteed tournament ever. Uh, along with that, we have the $2 million prime event and we have the $2 million uh, mystery bounty event, which have been very popular at the win. So we're very lucky and fortunate to be a partner with Win and the Bellagio and Seminole Hard Rock. And so I'm looking forward to all of those events coming up uh, before we just crown our player of the year. I'm thrilled to see the WPT still going so strong. I, I don't go all the way back to season one, but I think about season three, I started uh, tuning in and I've uh, been a regular ever since. So uh, congratulations on, on 20 years. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so you know, Matt, Eric calls you a future uh, Poker Hall of Famer. And uh, uh, I understand you've been nominated any number of times. Uh, now, obviously, once you get in, you never get nominated again. So uh, the when to be nominated so often, what's the ratio of uh, flattering <laughs> to frustrating for you, I guess? <laughs> well, now it's kind of become a joke. Seven yeah. times, you know, <laughs> I've been nominated. I know that I finished twice, uh, uh, two years in a row. And uh, when they took two players, I got in third. I was third. So mm. I've been on the bubble. Uh, way more than I'd like. But, uh, you know, to be fair, uh, it's a very tough and, and good field that I'm always up against. So, you know, I've never hated the the, the fact that somebody else got in over me, uh, only that I keep getting nominated and I, you know, kind of keeps my name out there. But I would love to do something with the Hall of Fame. And, you know, if I ever got the chance to be in there, I would love to see it promoted more and, and be a bigger part of that. And I think I'm the best person in the world to do that. So hopefully at some stage of my career or life, I will get in there and uh, we'll see what happens. I hope so, too. And I, I like your spirit. You know, people have said to me, because Eric always mentioned in our intro to the podcast, you know, 2008 uh, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And people say, oh, finalists, you're so close. And <laughs> there's only two finalists and one winner in each category. So it's even harder than like best actor, best actress. And aside from the fact that that wasn't my dream growing up, I wanted to be a sports writer and I was. And and so I, I did everything I wanted. But also it occurred to me right away. I'm like, who's the poor bastard who finished fourth? Right. <laughs> like 175 right. entries. One gets the big prize to get a huge secondary prize. And the fourth guy 
is nothing. And not only <laughs> does he get nothing, no one even knows who it is. So <laughs> I don't know. It just occurred to me right away. So uh, I think you'll get in and I, and I won't get any, any further, but I'm sad to the, why, with where I am. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you inducted one of these days. Yeah. It's kind of funny that every year there's somebody else goes in and that, nothing's ever said about the hall of fame for the entire year. And then the following year, my yeah. name comes up again. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to be a notable, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the, the nominations are every year are always well-deserved and hopefully the well-deserved in, induction will uh, will be coming soon. But uh, I think this, you know, this, this interview just uh, helps your chances that much more of uh, getting, uh, getting awesome. our gigantic audience uh, well aware that you're overdue. So Awesome. I'll be looking for your nomination votes next year. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Matt, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'll, I'll let all of our listeners know that they can find Matt on Twitter at Savage Poker. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to come on Gamble On. Thanks for having me on the show. Good to see you guys again. All right, thanks, Matt. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And we flip-flopped right back to the wrong side of the negative 3K line. Only three bets to grade this past week. John, you split your two college football bets, though. Unfortunately, the bigger one lost. Uh, We won $100 with Mississippi State minus nine and a half points, but lost $165 on Alabama minus 24. And my money line bet on the Bengals over the Ravens came close, but Justin Tucker put the nail in that one and we lost $70. So we lost $135 for the week, which puts us $3,066 in the red overall. We also have $930 on hold in futures bets, including some NFL season long player prop unders that are looking great for what that's worth. Uh, So that leaves us with $6,004 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first and I'm starting with boxing and it's a rebet of a bet I tried to make about a month ago that got voided. Uh, You'll recall Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall were due to meet in a big middleweight unification bout in London that got scrapped because the queen died two days before fight night. At the time I bet on it to go the 10 round distance at minus 215 odds. Well, it's back on for this Saturday and the price has gotten worse, thus confirming the sharpness of my bet. At least <laughs> um, it's now minus 280 at DraftKings and a whopping minus 310 at FanDuel. Uh, but I shopped and shopped and I found it at minus 223 at points bet. So not too different from our original minus 215. Still good value in my view. So let's bet $125 to win 56 on Shields Marshall to go the 10 round distance. All right. So we're betting on women to punch each other in the face, but we're looking for it. None of them to be completely knocked out yes. senseless. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll grade that as a win. I guess. <laughs> so, someday you'll become comfortable with the idea of women punching <sighs> each other. In the face. I, sure I, I personally won't. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> now look, I, I'm still right. I'm not the only one about Bama coach, Nick Saban and his preference to run up the score against a team that defeated him the previous season. But for him, of course, one thing trumps all, that's winning. Mm-hmm. I only saw snippets of that game, but early on I could see that he justifiably had no faith in this backup quarterback. When does Alabama not have a second quarterback? But as soon as they don't. So he was going to play conservative, so he had no chance to win that bet. I knew it. If I actually bet it in real life, I probably would have cashed out uh, in the first quarter. Um, now back to college football, though. And, and, well, I learned something. Bama may have its star quarterback back. 
but he won't be 100%, and I don't like the backup. And Tennessee, finally, for the first time in decades, it seems like they have the horses, finally. Mm-hmm. So I even found the seven and a half point hook with Tennessee against visiting Tide on DraftKings. So 110 to win 100 uh, on that number to boot. All right. Uh, for my second bet, uh, I'm going back to NFL unders. Um, here's some stats that David Purdom shared this week on Twitter. Uh, unders this season in the NFL are 46, 32, and 1. Primetime unders are 11 and 4. And division game unders are 20 and 7. So you might think I'd target a primetime game or a division game uh, or both at once in the case of either Eagles, Cowboys or Chargers, Broncos. But no, I'm going with a Sunday 1 p.m. game featuring non-rivals in separate conferences, Tampa Bay versus Pittsburgh. Uh, The line here varies between 43 and a half and 44, all different levels of juice. By far, the best spot that I found was uh, once again, points bet where we can get 44 and the under is minus 105. Uh, I figure Steelers, decent defense, bad offense, and Tampa, elite defense, mediocre offense. The Bucks totals this season have been 22, 30, 26, 72 against the Chiefs, and 36. So four out of five games have been comfortably under, and playing the Chiefs is obviously cause for an aberration. I would have thought the line for this game would be like 40 or 41. So I think we're getting nice value here. Let's bet $105 to win 100 under 44 points. All right. I think you're going to like this one. Now, the NHL season has just gotten underway, and I'm choosing a hockey season-long under of sorts. Because okay. the Pittsburgh Penguins are the Brooklyn Nets of the NBA. <laughs> we mm. have a, a, a position on them as well. But Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malcolm, they're playing the lead roles of aging and possibly unhealthy superstars. So I'm getting a beefy plus 380 on the Penguins, whose goaltending I also don't buy, to miss the playoffs. So 50 units to win 190. Okay, I like that. I like that. Nice uh, return. Gary Rothstein won't like the bet, but uh, but I do. Uh, All right. We finished the show with the fast five and we were collectively just the slightest bit above 500 last week. Uh, I went exactly 500 winning with the Texans and Bills losing with the Seahawks and Panthers and pushing with the Vikings minus seven against Chicago. John, meanwhile, took a step toward getting himself on track with a three and two week, which included a loss on our shared pick of Seattle and another loss with the Lions, but wins with the Colts, Falcons and Titans. So he gained a half game on me. I'm at 14, 10 and one. John improves to 11 and 14. And I'm up first in week six, where we have four teams on by and therefore two fewer games to choose from. And I'm going to start with Jacksonville getting one and a half points in Indy. I hope this line might be higher, but I guess the bookmakers are aware that the Colts are no good despite their decent two, two and one record. But I think even if I'd hoped for another point or two, this is still a good spot to buy low on the Jags off an ugly loss and sell high ish on the Colts. I may give up on the Jags for a while if it turns out I'm wrong about this one, but my sense is that this is a right the ship game for Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence after scuffling the last two weeks. My next pick is another buy low sell high spot. Uh, I'll take the Browns minus two and a half at home against the Patriots. Now, do I trust the Browns not to blow another close game? Nah, not really. Uh, but they're clearly a decently talented team and there's no way the Patriots are as good as last week's score against the lions indicated. I like that. I'm getting the hook here with Cleveland that could very well prove the difference. So give me the Browns to cover and not choke this one away. 
next, as I wrote in my line it up column this week, the Falcons are the only five and O team against the spread this season. And they're five and a half point underdogs at home against the 49ers. Now I whiffed badly on my anti Niners pick last week. They did not have their letdown game in Carolina. So I'm hoping that they will on delay in Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons are frisky. They keep it close week in and week out. I don't think I've picked any of their games yet this season, but I'll jump on this trend now. Hopefully not at exactly the wrong time. Give me the home dog Falcons getting five and a half for my next game. I've picked the Panthers a few times this year and they keep punishing me for picking them, but the number is just too big to resist this week against the Rams in LA. It's 10 and a half. It opened at nine and a half and that would have been a stay away for me, I think, but now we're on the other side of 10 the Rams have a whole lot of problems. And more importantly, I think the Panthers get that new coach bounce. You know, Matt Rule is gone. Everyone gets a fresh start. I wouldn't expect them to pull the upset here, but I do like them to cover this massive 10 and a half point spread. And lastly, because I apparently love picking the NFL's most meh teams to cover. Uh, so far this week, I have Jags, Browns, Falcons, and Panthers. Well, let's add Seahawks to that list. Uh, a disrespectful line. They're two and a half point home dogs to the poorly coached Cardinals in Arizona's last game before they get DeAndre Hopkins back from suspension. I don't think the card should be favored on the road against anyone right now. The Seahawks have consistently been less terrible than expected this season. So I'll take him to cover here. And I actually kind of expect Seattle to win this one outright. All right. Well, we have two uh, games that we each chose as you'll see. So let's start with though. I go first though, with the Bengals minus two at the saints. I mean, okay. The Bengals seem to be about as good as the Cowboys and Ravens and better than the jets. And that's pretty good. I mean, the saints, they, they lost to the Panthers for Christ's sake <laughs> and they have a revolving door at quarterback. So I don't know why I'm only given two, but I'm happy about it. Uh, we agree on Jaguars plus one and a half over the Colts who lost to the Jags 24, nothing in week two, by the way, uh, the Colts did beat the chiefs, which confuses all of us. But overall, I agree with you. They're terrible. And that's just an outlier. Um, Ravens minus five and a half at Giants, who many in the New York media are debating, are they the worst four and one team ever? <laughs> uh, now, Saquon Barkley is great and healthy, yeah. and I sure like the coaching staff, but I still can't quite buy in. So less than a touchdown and the Ravens are kind of an ornery group. Uh, I, they're just battle tested. I, I, I like that game. Uh, we agree on Seahawks plus two and a half versus Cardinals. I mean, I wish the Cardinals weren't so stupid while handing the Eagles the game last week because that W would have pushed this line even further. Mm. Uh, both of these teams may be better than we think, I will admit. And Geno Smith, I mean, really? But five weeks is not a tiny sample size and advanced metrics believe in him. So I guess I will too. Uh, and then uh, Bills minus two and a half at Chiefs. Look, Andy Reeves and Patrick Mahomes were a powerful drug, but now and then there's a change at the Garden NFL. Uh, I bought some Josh Allen MVP stock this week, and a big day here will make my play seem like a bargain, I think. Interesting. Okay, so we are uh, aligned on two games. So far yeah. this season, we are 0-1 when aligned. So uh, let's see if we can uh, hopefully uh, buck that trend and uh, win with both Jacksonville and Seattle. Yeah, and we're, I believe we're 24-24-1 and one or something like that. We're not aligned. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> okay. these are coin flips. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Matt Savage. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John. 
please take us out. Yeah, most of you uh, figured out long ago that betting on your own team is dumb because then when they lose, you get double the heartache. And to me, at least if they win, you just care that they won. So you don't get double the pleasure. So I laid off the Mets Padres series and feel a little better about that. Unfortunately, that was only after I learned this lesson by going 0-3 in the Mets Braves uh, series the weekend mm-hmm. before. Even worse, I chased with a double bet in the finale to try to get even. And look, I mean, the total carnage was on a two-digit level, so not a big <laughs> difference maker. But still, uh, lesson learned. Uh, I have another lure here now, though. I don't follow the American League, so I had noticed the Guardians brought up an outfielder named Will Brennan in September. Mm-hmm. Even started game one versus the Yankees. Now, Eric, he's the 10th player in Major League Baseball history to have that name, and the seventh as a last name, while the other three had Brennan as a first name. The previous seven surname Brennans combined for a meager five wins above replacement or war. So if this guy's any good, not only might I buy the first sports jersey in my life, I'd even be tempted to put prop bets on him all the time, but I'm going to resist the latter at least. So uh, finally, there has to be a, a Raskin someday playing the majors, but <laughs> not yet. So. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But uh, uh, with that, until next time, gamble on.